Hi everyone, our show today is on OFDMA, Upstream Troubleshooting, Tips and Recommendations. I'm Brady Volp, founder of NimbleThis and the Volp Firm. With me today is John Downey, CMTS Technical Leader at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back. Yeah, glad to be back. I was uh, muting my phone. You know, uh, remember that time I think you were doing a presentation at SCTE and I think I called you while you were presenting. I can't imagine that you would do something like that, John. Are, are you muting your, muting your rooster going on outside? No, no, it's out there right now. My rooster and my uh, turkeys. We heard them in the pre-show. You guys all missed out. So um, everyone you know, that's listening, please drop your questions in the chat show. Our, our show today on OFDMA is, uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting because we've been talking to lots of people. There's been a, uh, uh, there was a show yesterday on the same topic, and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about that, kind of piggyback on that. There's been a 50% increase in upstream traffic thanks to COVID. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. You know, so lots of people working at home, children uh, learning at home, and so we're seeing this increase in upstream traffic thanks to that. Lots of operators are now starting to take advantage of OFDMA in the upstream. Of course, we have OFDM. That's used in a downstream, so don't get the little A to confuse you uh, on the OFDM. So A is for upstream, OFDM is for downstream. A lot of folks are under the impression that we should be able to deploy OFDMA in the noisy areas of our upstream. Lots of us are stuck with a 42 megahertz return right now. Of course, we are looking at expanding the upstream. One of the new things we have found, the interesting things, is we are running into some challenges in OFDM deployments, in particular with modems locking up once we get noise into the return. That's one of the things we'll start this conversation out is to where we should maybe place the OFDM in a channel, why so many operators are running into cable modems locking up, and then we'll move on from there. So I'll start with uh, John on the topic of why are we running into noise locking up on cable modems or cable modems knocking up, locking up in the upstream with OFDMA. What's your perspective on that? Have you heard of it? Have you seen the same thing? So let's think about upstream noise funneling. You know, all it takes is one house with noise to funnel back and everybody's affected, right? The only time you have individual modem MER issues would be group delay, micro reflections that are indicative of just that one modem. But for ingress, everybody's affected. doesn't matter where it comes in because it's still going back to the single source on the CMTS upstream port. So we all know below 15 megahertz, we used to say 20 megahertz, I'm going to say 15 megahertz. It's usually pretty noisy. Uh, to make that worse, there's power supply noise, there's impulse noise. If you hook up a spectrum analyzer, some of the impulse noise is so fast, and the spectrum analyzer is scanning so fast, you don't catch it. If you slow down the dwell time uh, of the spectrum analyzer and put peak hold on, you'll notice a lot of impulse noise is, is you know below 15 megahertz. So there could be problems there that just create a lot of uncorrectable effect if you're going to put a carrier down there. But you could just say, well, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Why would I even <laughs> uh, test myself or put myself in a bad situation by using that spectrum? Then you're like, well, 5 to 42 megahertz is not much spectrum to use. I have four ATDMA channels at 6.4 megahertz wide. I can't even go to 42 megahertz because the real filter is 40 megahertz. So I have to stop at 40. Uh, and then I'm trying to avoid CB at 27 megahertz. Uh, and then I might have out-of-band signaling. I might have a set-top box signal, status monitoring. So there's a lot of stuff that has to coincide or coexist. So they're like, ah, maybe we can just start OFDMA, DOCSIS 3.1 upstream on the low end because it has LDPC and, and frequency inter interleaving and, and it's more robust and I have profile management. Maybe I can do OFDMA down there. And, and I think that's the, that, that's the natural thought. I mean, at least yeah. for me, that and and I and I even think I've told people that OFDMA with LDPC should be much much more immune to noise at low frequencies. So 
I, I would I would think that's a natural thing to do. Let's put it at five megahertz up to you know put it in that really noisy area. And I think we're seeing a lot of operators start to do that, exactly as so, you said. And and to me, I want to exploit the new technology to get better speeds. Right. I'm still paying licensing for this too. You pay a license for the channel, the subcarriers in the channel, regardless of the modulation you're running. So if you decide to use 5 to 15 megahertz and you're relegated to QPSK you for your paid for your OFDM channel cuz it could run at yeah. it could run at 1024 qualm yeah. but but to your point if yeah. there's a lot of noise it may drop from 1024 qualm all the way down to QPSK regardless of what and you're paying for noise funnel- and because of noise funneling all the modems are probably going to drop right. to the lowest modulation because it is what it is the noise is there right it's not like the noise is only there for one modem uh, unless that modem's creating the noise, <laughs> which we've seen that too. Some some modems actually create noise with their power supply, which is kind of strange, right? I've seen that. Yeah, there's. Uh, I've seen cases where uh, the noise comes and goes, but it really depends on what's out in the field. And some systems used to use those switches and stuff. Um, I haven't seen too many of those anymore. Remember those? The uh, switch. The the, think- the power supply for the cable modems you're referring yeah. to, right? The power yeah. supply itself, that little wall wart generates noise, goes into the cable modem, comes back out the F connector on the cable modem, all the way back up to your CMTS. Those modems still exist, John, because I've worked with cable <laughs> operators. They know the noise exists, they know the signature, and they can't use the upstream spectrum because of those modems that are generating that noise. And, and to make matters worse with that is the upstream laser is probably an analog laser, right? They're probably not doing DAA yet. So now you have laser clipping because you have overload of not just real signals, but fake signals, you know, noise. Noise still has amplitude. Um, and if that happens to come in high enough, it causes laser clipping. But I, th- so I think the question clipping. that I've talked to many operators about is they will put OFDMA at the low frequencies we're talking about. The modems will come online. They'll be fine. The modems will be running for a while until noise ingress comes in. And then the modems themselves... They're still online, but there's they'll get tickets from their subscribers saying, I, I'm not able to get any traffic over these modems. And that's the confusing thing for them. So here, here's the interesting side note is the 3.1 modems prefer the 3.1 spectrum for their traffic allocation first, downstream and upstream. So if we cross bond OFDMA with a couple single carrier qualm, uh, it gives us a bigger aggregate pipe. It gives us a bigger pipe to get higher peak speed. But the 3.1 modem and the CMTS are going to schedule its upstream traffic on the OFDMA first. So instead of scheduling some traffic on the single carrier qualm that might be running 64 qualm and it's and it's legit and no uncorrectable effect, it's purposely trying to schedule on the OFDMA that's lower in frequency, that has more noise and lower modulation. So here's a case where the modem says it's doing four channel upstream bonding, but it's trying to do all its traffic on the OFDMA and just getting a lot of uncorrectable fact. Or it could be there's so much noise and the modem is trying to go through profile management to drop to a lower modulation, which usually requires something called a DBC, dynamic bonding change. Mm -hmm. And maybe all these variables are then locking up the modem. So the modem, you can do a ping doxis, but you can't do a regular ping because layer three is locked up. And this is not the first time we've seen this. We saw this same thing occur in DOCSIS 3.0 days when we were doing channel bonding and now the modems were switching between different upstreams or they're doing load balancing and same thing happened, right? Modems would lock up. We could still ping DOCSIS to the modem. We could communicate to the, the chipset on the modem. However, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I've referred to this, and I know other people have too, is blue screen of death on a modem, where the modem at the, at the layer three, sort of the operating system in the modem itself, locks up. And that's that kind of, from an operations point of view, it's really challenging because we look at, our, at the CMTS, and it, the CMTS says the modem's online. But from the yeah, subscriber the- point of view, that modem is not online. It's, there's no traffic going over it. And so, yeah, so if you're not proactive and you just look at show cable modem, all the modems are aligned, you're happy. So now you're relying on your customer to call in and complain. Right. And they can't call in on the EMTA because it doesn't work. So they have to call in on their mobile phone 
<laughs> which then makes your service look even less reliable because now they have to go back to the cell phone and mobile anyway. Yes. Yeah, it's um, it's a pain. And if we can ping a modem or not ping a modem, but ping Doxis, when you do ping Doxis, it's a layer two ping, if you will. And even if a modem is a NIT R1, a NIT R2, a NIT RC, it's going through ranging process. Once you get to ranging complete and the modem hasn't even come on yet, it's not even at a NIT D, you should be able to do a ping doxis. And ping doxis is a command that you do on the CMTS. This isn't yeah. something that you can do anywhere other than the CMTS. Ping doxis, the yeah, MAC address the of the modem. Ping doxis, MAC address, um, and then it will send a station maintenance ping. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the pitfall to ping versus ping doxis. Ping is layer three. It's going to use the mod profile of the short or long grant, which is probably 64 qualm. When you do ping doxis, it's doing the station maintenance burst of your mod profile. Right. And that's probably 16 qualm. Or so, maybe even QPSK. So if someone, yes, exactly. So if someone doesn't get a ping, but ping doxis works, I don't assume layer three is hung yet. I say, check your MER first. Right. Because what if your MER is, I'm going to give you an example. What if it was 20 dB? If your upstream MER is 20 dB, 16 qualm will work fine. Mm-hmm. So the station maintenance ping will work. But the regular ping is 64 qualm is not going to work because the breakpoint for 64 qualm is around 23 dB. Correct. So. Yeah. So I, my troubleshooting would be ping versus ping doxis, look at the MER, see if it makes sense. If MER is great and 64 qualms work, but ping is still not working, it's probably layer three hung. So then the question is, how do I get it out of that state? I can't really talk to the modem remotely via, via layer three. SNMP is normally how we would talk to that modem. To so maybe you tell the customer to, power, <laughs> tell the customer to power cycle their modem, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's ironic to me that when I had Doxis 2O modems doing dynamic channel change for dynamic load balancing on the downstream, we changed one, one primary to another primary, and we could have the modem reboot or we have div- different techniques so the modem would stay online. And we found when some modems did a DCC to another primary downstream, and then load balance is like, oh, no, I need you to move again, and it got another DCC, they would get hung. And I remember 10 years ago, SA Cisco remember SA had the modems and Cisco bought SA internally. They had something called a watchdog timeout or a watchdog timer. And it was like an internal ping to itself. And if it failed, it would reboot itself. Right. So it's, it's surprising that we don't have something like that in the three, one modems as a catch all, you know, if all else fails, if, this, if the chipset or something is hung, um, you might need to reboot yourself because I'd rather do that and have the customer just losing all their traffic and not know what to do. Yeah, I, I tell you, if there's any modem vendors that are out there watching this now or watch this later on, drop us a note in the chat below uh, because I'd love to know, first of all, you know, are we correct in, in our assumption that when we, when, you know, there's a, there's a process here that happens when, the mo- when mo- cable modems are running OFDMA in the upstream, they send their RXMER data, which is, you know, an MER measurement for every subcarrier, RXMER, back to the CMTS. And, and think about it. They're not sending their RXMER. The CMTS is requesting is, it. Is getting it. It knows what it is, yes. right? It's sending its downstream MER right. from the modem to the CMTS. But the CMTS, it's just measuring the MER because yeah, it's so, the one receiving the signal. So our, our premise is that when the noise is introduced, that MER goes down, the RXMER goes down, and now the profile for that modem is getting changed, and possibly the modem's locking up when it's changing profiles, when it's dropping from maybe 1024 qualm to 512 qualm or some lower modulation. That's, yeah, I mean, it, that's there's so many variables, right? Well, it, it could be could other be, things as well, yeah. Yeah, it could be trying to do profile management, and at the same time, it's trying to do a station maintenance. And at the same time, some modems were coming online. It, it, there's a lot of variables happening, right? And it's hard to test for every one of these variables. So you could have an interop. You could do cable labs, certifications and qualification, and everything looks fine. But in the real world, you know, it, it, there's so many variables we don't know. Uh, that's why you have to usually plan for worst case 
you hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is you should stay away from where you might have problem areas, which just comes back back around the circle, right? This is what we're getting at is, should I even try to do OF domain the low end, knowing that I'm not going to really exploit the speed that OF domain brings to the table? And I, I, I think that was kind of the takeaway. Was it light reading that Jason Miller was on uh, yesterday? That, I think that was the yeah. seminar. That, I, I got that was kind of the takeaway is use OFDMA in the upstream, but don't use it where any place where there's noise currently, which kind of says yeah. use OFDMA above 42 megahertz. Or if, uh, if, if you're an 85 system, then yeah, definitely. Uh, I would not even mess around with single carrier qualm above 42 because it docks us two O modems, docks us three O modems that may or may not work above 42. Uh, if you're going to do OFDMA and you are, have an 85 megahertz system, fine. But what happens in a 42 megahertz system? Even with that, we would rather see you shift your ATDMA, you know, 15 to 20, just a couple carriers, and then do 20 to 42 with the OFDMA. You know, what's interesting about that is if, and I keep saying Rob Peter to pay Paul, I'm going to steal single carrier qualms from my 2.0 and 3.0 modems, and I'm going to use that spectrum more efficiently with DOCSIS 3.1. The question will come up is, how many 3.1 modems need to be present to take advantage of that without me really screwing over the 3.0 and 2.0 modems? And then the question is, are there set-top boxes with 2.0 modems embedded? Well, are there any devices doing voice? Because the voice needs a single carrier qualm to do a proper voice mm -hmm. and UGS flows. So, yeah, there are some things to be concerned about. But even Jason brought up yesterday, Blue Ridge Cable, they had about one-third, 33% penetration of 3-1 modems. They were able to do exactly what I just said. They dropped four single carrier qualm down to two and used the rest of the spectrum for OFDMA. So anyone that had a 3-1 modem, only a third penetration, they were just pushed to the 3-1 spectrum, which right. is more efficient, which helped pull some of the overload off the single carrier qualm because now those 3-1 modems are using the 3-1 spectrum more efficiently. And do you know if, if that's because they're already deploying 3-1 modems to the users who, who are their high-capacity users? And, and, and think about it. It's, they're deploying 3-1 modems for downstream speed right. considerations. So the 3-1 modem's already there. Yes. The hardware is there. Now it's just a matter of utilizing for upstream. Yeah, because, and I would imagine that you know those those users are getting the 3-1 modems were probably already their high-tier users to begin with. They're using a lot of downstream traffic, and yep. by nature, they're probably using a lot of upstream traffic as well. So to your point, it doesn't you don't have to get 100% of your users migrated to DOCSIS 3.1 in order to make a difference by using both OFDM in the downstream, and in particular, to this topic, OFDMA in the upstream. So the other thing I like is if I drop from four-channel single-carrier qualm bonding to two, you gain 3 dB in max transmit power. So if you have power level issues on the upstream, a lot of exclamation points on the Shokio modem command, by going to two-channel upstream bonding, you just gain 3 dB back on max transmit. Modem transmit levels don't change if they were legitimate to begin with, yeah. but the max transmit goes up by 3 dB. And that's an unintended benefit channel. that people may not realize they're going to get by doing, by just adding OFDM in, dropping some ATDMA or SC qualm carriers, they get that increased power level. So now your ATDMA are going to perform better. It's going to have better MER, SNR on the ATDMA channels in that power boost. And, and if I drop from four single carrier qualm to two single carrier and one OFDMA, that's the equivalent of three channels. Mm -hmm. Now the OFDMA might be bigger in spectrum, but it's three channels. Less upstream channels means less downstream overhead for maps. Right. So now you have less downstream overhead because you have less total upstream channels. So overall, you're getting efficiency in the upstream and you're getting efficiency in the downstream because and, you're, you're, getting, and, you're reducing ATDMA channels and adding OFDMA channels. And kind of roundabout way, you're saving money because you pay for an upstream single-carrier qualm, regardless of modulation or width. It's licensing. An you're, you're saving money by... An upstream channel. Yeah, you're saving money on licensing is what you're saying. Yes. 
Now you might say I'm saving on the single carrier qualm, but I'm converting that to OFDMA. Right. And, and that's fair enough, right? But you are, maybe you you pull back some single carrier qualm and maybe you use them somewhere else or you turn on more service groups. Yeah, I actually never looked at it from the perspective of having customers get OFDMA channels can save them money on licensing on the single carrier qualm channels. That's actually a really good point to for people to consider when they're looking at what their total license counts are that they're buying. It'd be interesting also to do cost per megabit per second. Yep. Because when you go 3.1 and you can run in the better spectrum. I was going to say. It, it, mom, it only, that cost only works out if you run your OFDMA at higher frequencies. If you're running exactly. your OFDMA at low frequencies, I think you're going to lose out because you're not going to be running a 1024 qualm. And I think you're also going to lose out because you're going to be running, you're, you're going to have lots of CSR calls and lots of truck rolls, at least today with today's modem firmware, because your modems are going to be locking up as soon as the noise is introduced, which we're seeing in a lot of different areas. And, and, and I'd love also, to have people chime in to see if they're also experiencing the same thing. I've, I've can't, I, I know at least across um, several major MSOs, this is what they're running into. And, and I consider this a positive, even though it wasn't part of the spec, is I've seen some taps roll off at 10 megahertz. To me, it's actually a good thing because <laughs> it gets rid of all the noise, noise. in the house. Yeah, it's noise Remember, all the noise is coming from the house. <laughs> so rolling off at 10 is like having a filter. Yes. Um, and that helps eliminate that noise hitting my upstream laser. But if you're trying to do OFDMA from a house <laughs> from 5 to 15. It's not a benefit anymore. The tap rolls yeah. off a 10. That's not a good thing, right? You're causing more problems. So here's another thing most people don't think about is, and it, it, I'm going to explain this from Cisco's perspective, because I don't know that it's really necessary to do it this way, but it, it was the probably the simplest way to get OFDMA to work knowing where the first sub subcarrier works, subcarrier zero up to 4,000 or whatever the number of subcarriers you have, we schedule the upstream from left to right in spectrum. So if you're using five to 15 megahertz for OFDMA and the modem says, I need upstream traffic, so give me some mini slots, the CMTS is scheduling at the very low end first. So even if you do an OFDMA from five to 10, and then you have to do an exclusion for maybe some set-top box signal, and then you do OFDMA from, from uh, 15 to 20, well, that little slivery do at the very end, that's being scheduled first anyway. That could be dictating which IUC, which is mod profile, is being used for uh, your entire uh, OFDMA channel. Yeah. All right, so we, we have uh, some questions here or some feedback. Um, <laughs> So uh, Zoltan, so he says, uh, so far so good already uh, on, uh, at least with the ARC 6000, they're going to get some more experience coming up. Kai said, would love to hear more about uh, average spectrum efficiency gains other MSOs are seeing in the real world. And uh, Zoltan, uh, so they already have tens of thousands of DOCSIS 3.1 modems. Zoltan, that's awesome to hear that you're making that type of penetration. Um, and Kai is also saying less than 42 megahertz OFDM with noise. CMs are locking up hard. Yes, that's exactly what you heard. Um, at least, you know, not less necessarily less than 42 megahertz, but in the lower spectrum. So I said less than 20 megahertz. Um, yeah. Kai, I'm not sure if are you Kai, are you are you seeing less than 42 megahertz in your plant, or just? Um, uh, is, I think he's asking you. Yeah, that, is that are you asking us? Because we're seeing uh, definitely in a less than 20 megahertz range, we're seeing modems lock up when noise is introduced. And uh, hey, Tim, good to good to see you on here. We you lean you guys lean forward, pushing 3.1 modems to the field, even while you had 3.0 plant. Um, so you just seeded for the R5 node plus zero upgrade. That's awesome that you're going node plus zero. So um, thanks for the feedback so far, guys. John, um, so I think we've covered a good bit on spectrum allocation so far, um, at least on recommendations. Bottom line, yeah, bottom line, use the best frequencies you can. Yeah, you know, it, it, at least at it, least it, so we it, get some robust low. modem firmware out there that uh, doesn't lock up anymore. Yeah, and even if it doesn't lock up, it's still not efficient. You're still not getting the biggest bag for your buck. You know, The biggest bag for the buck is to use the spectrum that's going to give you the highest modulation. You know, the modems in the, on the market today 
they support up to 4K qualm in the upstream. Right. Same for the downstream. Even though now, the spec says up, 1K qualm or 1024 qualm in the upstream. Modem uh, support, the, what about the CMTS side? So the, the spec says must up to 4K qualm, may 8 and 16K qualm. So there's still two modulation schemes even higher for downstream that no one's using because the modems don't support it today. Um, I foresee those higher modulation schemes being possible with remote phi or maybe a remote phi plus zero, no amplifiers. On the upstream, our CMTS officially supports 1K qualm and we're now pushing 2K qualm to be officially supported, even though the modems have the hardware to support 4K qualm. In reality, the MERs that are needed to support 4K upstream, you're probably gonna do with DAA. You're gonna do it with remote fire, remote Mac fire, something that has digital fiber to get rid of upstream laser clipping, get rid of that limitation of the analog optical link, excuse me, being my Achilles heel uh, and trying to get better performance. Yeah, because we need about what, 39 dB MER in the upstream in order to support 4K qualm? The, the spec has a table and that table's on the downstream and upstream. 4K qualm is 4K qualm. I don't care if it's upstream or downstream. The cutoff was uh, 41, I believe. I have to pull up the table again. But we know that table is about 60 B more robust than it needs to be. Right. Because of the LDPC and all that other stuff, it'll break around 35. Um, when we look at the DAA and remote phi, distributed access architecture with remote phi, the MER because the chipset's right in the node, the MER I can achieve with even three or four amplifiers and proper levels should be close to 40, close to it. Yep. And with 40, I'm probably gonna be able to get 2K qualm unless I do like an MER offset to get rid of some of that 60B of conservative threshold, right? We do that on the downstream, but Jason Miller and I we talk about we don't want to push our luck on the upstream just yet. So he and I are kind of saying just leave the MER at the cutoff, 41 for 4K qualm. Uh, I think it's 38 for 2K qualm. It's like 3 dB jumps, right? Something like that. Yep. So, um, so Kai did get back to us on our questions, and he said uh, they currently only have 42 megahertz in the upstream right now, 64 SC QAM, so good job on running 64 QAM, and uh, fifth in the U.S. with uh, 3.2 3 megahertz, 64 QAM, uh, 1.6 megahertz TDMA, and it's like you, I, you, you mentioned Jason Roop's name, and there he is with his awesome sense of humor, <laughs> QAMs. <laughs> So we'll go on from there. Good to see you, Jason. And Zoltan, they're running uh, 4 by 6, 4 by 6.4 megahertz at 64 qualm in the upstream and 1 10, 10 megahertz OFDMA at the moment. Love to know what frequency you're running that OFDMA channel, Zoltan. Um, so good to hear that's running. Yeah, to be honest, I'm seeing that, you know, and, and cost communications, a few other people, uh, maybe they didn't have the 3.1 modem penetration or they'll, they're apprehensive or nervous about doing 3.1 upstream until things are stabilized or they test it out. But a lot of people are activating a fifth upstream of single carrier qualm. And I personally don't like the idea um, because remember we talked about max transmit. As soon as you go past four channel upstream bonding and you just go to five, you might as well go to eight because it drops by 3 dB. Yep. As soon as you add that fifth one in, it's always a, a doubling effect, regardless. Like three channel upstream bonding is the same as four in regards to max transmit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Five is the same as eight because you got past four. You know, so you lose another three dB in your max transmit and you're paying for that channel. Um, so, yeah, it's I understand a fifth upstream, maybe just for set top boxes makes sense to me. But throwing a fifth upstream in there to get a little bit more speed. You just get more bang for the buck if you go OFDMA, if you can justify it with the number of devices, obviously. Yeah. So, um, so Kai made a comment about having a 10 megahertz OFDMA upstream, and I think that's something important for people to know. Is like the docs and spec says we can have a 96 megahertz upstream, or we can have a 6.4 megahertz upstream. We can have variations in there. So if operators don't realize that you can have like 
different channel widths for OFDMA in the upstream, that's something you want to recognize. It doesn't have to be fixed to 96, doesn't have to be fixed to 6.4. You can use different variations in there. Um, Kai's also mentioned, I, I think this was in there. Uh, yeah, this is, so he's kind of saying this is something that's worrying him that modems are locking out. And also he's mentioning, you know, Maybe one firmware vendor, you're not going to have any problems with lockup, but a different firmware vendor, you are going to have, or a different, even a different firmware on the same modem, you're going to have problems with locking up. That can be a real issue. So it is legit something you want to test in the lab, inject some noise before you deploy these out in the field, depending on where you're going. And it's always good to have the different Intel versus Broadcom. It's the two manufacturers of the chipsets, right? Right. So if you have one that's Intel-based and one that's Broadcom-based, it's good to see if there's any nuances between the two. So if you see modems locking up in the field, are they all one chipset vendor? Yeah. And, uh, and if they are one chipset vendor, then maybe you can identify, are they all the same firmware? You know, and, and there's a lot of times there's firmware upgrades that are available and people just don't know about it. Yeah, so that, that's a re really good point, John. You want to you wanna test all modems and all firmware versions. And before you roll out that next firmware version, it's really important really good to have a lab set up where you can test that and and test it under the conditions like try to emulate the outside plant in your lab environment as much as you can so john kai has a question pointed directly at you he's saying john we only uh i lost my place here we we are only permitting four of those five active upstreams at any time because of the new transmit issue max transmit issue but one way to do that is you just make, uh, because you make upstream bonding groups manually, you just make a four-channel and four-channel kind of overlapping, right? You could have two four-channel bonding groups, so you activated the fifth upstream, but you didn't make a five-channel bonding group, uh, yeah. which is fine. You know, and a lot, a lot of 3.0 modems might be relegated to only four-channel upstream bonding. It's only the full bandwidth capture modems that were like 24 by 8 or 32 by 8. They supported more than four-channel upstream bonding. So a lot of the modems in the field might only be four-channel capable anyway. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And Tim's now asking, um, so a three-channel SC-QAM bonding group plus the OFDM would be preferred for power levels. Yeah, but it's interesting about 3.1 is it's considered four channels, but the max transmit is based on actual bandwidth, not just channels anymore. Because with 3.0, you could never do anything bigger than a 6.4 megahertz wide channel, and you could never do anything higher than 64 qualm. So the max transmit wasn't based on channel width. It was based on number of channels and modulation you were going to run. So the max transmit was always based on that. With 3.1, it looks at all the spectrum. So all the single carrier qualm and all the OFDMA active subcarriers and does the math on that to say, all right, 65 dBmB is the max transmit I can do, but because of all these carriers, what would be the max transmit per 6.4 megahertz wide channel? Right. And 3.1 modems actually report their transmit level based on 1.6 equivalent bandwidth. So there's a little bit of mathematics that has to happen, um, or you have to have some commands that equate the 1.6 back to 6.4. It's yeah, really just a 60 difference. And the other thing I would add on to Tim's question is I would put the OFDM higher in frequency than the SC qualms for all the reasons we've mentioned so far. Zoltan brings up another topic that we've discussed before, which is mixing our fog in with our OFDMA in the upstream because we've we, and we've discussed this many times, John. You'll probably want to add on that our fog has real compatibility issues with OFDMA in the upstream. So. 3.1 modems schedule upstream traffic in mini slots. And the mini slots are a bunch of subcarriers and typically 400 kilohertz worth of subcarriers. So if I'm doing 25 kilohertz subcarrier spacing, that's going to be like 16 subcarriers to make four 400 uh, kilohertz worth of spectrum. So if that modem, if it was a 3.0 modem, it would burst up the entire channel, right? But if the 3.1 modem is bursting up mini slots, there's two problems here. One, I, as a CMTS, I could be scheduling one modem for so many mini slots and a different modem for other mini slots in that channel. So now I have two modems coming on at the same time, causing the same upstream laser wavelength, causing OBI, optical bead interference. 
Yep. So this is the problem with our fog is how do I get one house to burst at a time? OFDMA doesn't work like that. You'd have to create a new scheduler on the CMTS to only allow one modem at a time to burst OFDMA, even if he doesn't even need it. <laughs> so if he says, ah, uh, I only need to uh, transmit some voice traffic or some minuscule amount of traffic on the upstream, and it's a 3-1 modem, and the OFDMA is 20 megahertz wide, but he only needs 800 kilohertz to do his traffic, well, now you're basically saying that modem's going to use all the time because I can't allow his laser to come on the same time as somebody else's laser. Right. And so it's, it's kind of a mess. OFDMA and RFOG, it's not going to be too clean. And to make matters worse, the upstream ONTs, the optical network uh, ONTs, ONTs, optical network terminator, terminators, terminal. Oh my God. Terminal. Ter terminals. Terminal. Yes. Terminals. So it has a switching function in it for our fog. Mm -hmm. It senses signal coming in, whether that's real signal or noise, it doesn't care. It has a certain threshold that says when that power comes in, open up. So my laser can transmit. This right. is how our fog and DPON works. One laser at a time might be 32 lasers all coming back to one optical there can, receiver. There can be only one, John. <laughs> there can only be, that's true. Highlander uh, was such a good movie. <laughs> the Clan McCloud. <laughs> that's what the cloud is, the Clan that's McCloud. Right. <laughs> there can only be one. So if the upstream laser needs a certain amount of level to activate the switch, how much level is coming from a 3-1 modem if it's only transmitting 400 kilohertz? It's not very much. If you do the, it's very low. Because <laughs> it's very low. You so you can't have enough energy to turn a laser on. That's what's happening. Yep. That's happening now with a lot of people is that burst of OFDMA is not even enough power. And I did some math in that and I saw it's probably like a 10 dB difference because it's 400 kilohertz. And if you're trying to do 40 megahertz, that's a one to 10 ratio. 10 times the log of 10 is 10 dB. It, it, so does the modem that know that does the modem then retransmit and just keep retransmitting? It's like a, if, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there, does it make a sound? <laughs> so it's almost like now we need ONTs to lower their threshold or somehow change padding in the house to make the level look higher. But does that make the modem like max transmit as well? Yeah, but then the ONT can start transmitting when there's noise in the house, which is why the yeah. level's high to begin yes. with. Yes, there's like a, 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 not a hysteresis, but a, like a squelching function so that that's the whole reason we don't want the ONT to open up for regular noise. Right. We want it to open up for a real signal, but that real signal now it's is less power. It looks just like noise. Yes. So Actually, the math would be because the power level that's negotiated for 3.1 is based on a 6.4 megahertz channel, the math will be 10 times the log of 6.4 divided by 0.4. 400 kilohertz mm -hmm. and that's about 12 10 times a log of 12 or whatever is like it's just 11 dB or you're yeah, you you are a human calculator so <laughs> so thanks Alton this OFDMA and and RFOG issue is a huge problem we've got a bunch more questions to get here but I love heard? it if people would subscribe and give us a thumbs up if you've not done so already and hit that notification bell to get uh, notified if you like what we're talking about. This is a great topic today. We've got lots of questions. Uh, some more questions coming up here. Uh, Jason, OFDMA becomes OOFDA. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Um, Tim, I liked your comment, what you said there, because um, that, that is something interesting that doesn't always get mentioned. There are some differences between the Intel chips and the Broadcom chipsets, and you're observing that in your lab where the, the Broadcom chipsets uh, are dropping the OFDMA uh, on a command and rebooting, but you're not seeing that same thing with the Intel chipset. So recommend to everyone, do do your testing. Um, <laughs> Jason Collusion. Um, Kai uh, at Tim. Uh, so that, yeah, you're, so you're just responding back to Tim on that. Um, Thank you, Optical Network Terminal. Um, Stevens, for, uh, I'm using your, or Steven, for, I'm using your last name. I, I don't want to mess up your first name for that, for clarifying that on that. 
Um, so Tim, you're just confirming modem goes into partial mode on the upstream bonding. Uh, so yes, on the on the reset, restart restores the full bonding with some, with the power cycling of the device. So let, let's go down that route. Let's, yeah. let's cover that one. Okay. Because partial mode was one of the things you and I talked about. Yep. To me, the more upstream channels you have, I just said too many is a max transmit power issue maybe, but having more upstream channels that all have station maintenance is like built-in redundancy. Because it's not like downstream where you have one primary downstream. And right? you lose if you lose it, that primary, gone. modem goes offline. Yeah. <laughs> but on the upstream, for lack of a better term, they're all primary. Mm-hmm. On the upstream, every upstream channel you're locked on is doing station maintenance. So if you lose one, it's not catastrophic. Because you have Safety other ones net. to rely on. Now, the OFDMA is interesting because within the OFDMA, you have profile management. You can go from 1K to 512, 256, all the way down to the lowest IUC of IUC 13, which might be 16 qualm. But once that breaks, you're hoping the CMTS knows when to say, all right, quit scheduling any traffic on this poor performing upstream channel. Impaired and channel. And partial mode. And now schedule all your traffic on the single carrier qualm. Yep. Hopefully that one modem doesn't overload everybody else, (laughs) eat up his fair share. Um, But at least he's online, he's in partial mode, he's still getting traffic, and he can automatically come out of partial mode if the problem goes away. If And and the CMTS knows to say start using that channel again, because that's also been an issue where once you get into partial mode, you never come out of partial mode. Correct especially on downstream when we rely on the modem to send something called CM status messages. And what if those messages come on the upstream and they never get to the CMTS? Right. Well, then the CMTS is like, I never heard you, so uh, now what? And the modem just stays in partial mode forever maybe. You know, so there's a lot of recommendations for downstream partial mode. Upstream partial mode, we're just going to keep trying to do station maintenance to that upstream even though there's no traffic scheduled. Mm-hmm. And if the station maintenance goes through, and we get some good MER readings, then we're like, okay, now we can reactivate that upstream channel for that modem. Right. So that's that's really, I mean, so partial mode, we've lost that channel. What what do you see as far as the probability that that channel is going to come up once the impairment's gone? Um, I mean, it should be 90%. It should be 95%. Uh, but, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see some odd things sometimes where the modem might not come out. I'll give you an example. Uh, good buddy of mine, um, they were doing, and this is Dr. Slio, they were doing analog fiber redundancy path testing. Not digital fiber, analog. Different path lengths. Let's suppose the modem's in partial mode, and the CMTS is always trying to do station maintenance to the channel that's not up. And the modem now goes to a different fiber path, and now the time offsets are different. So now when I'm trying to do station maintenance to the upstream channel that modem is not being not using, but the time offset is bad, and the time offset never gets updated because it doesn't have station maintenance. This is like a round just snowball out of control. Um, it never comes out of partial mode. Yeah. And because the time offset never updates uh, on that one, uh, it just never comes out of partial mode. And, and that's what I see, and, and we've got Tim Bowser confirming that, that that's the issue that he's seeing as well. It, it's not coming out unless they reset the modem, which, which is a problem. And, uh, hey, Owen, the real Owen Parsons, good to see you on there. Um, he's, he's also saying if you have fiber going the house, don't do our fog. <laughs> if, it, if it hurts when you do that, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts here and here. Oh, it's your finger. <laughs> I got my finger in my eye. Why is my eye hurt? It hurts here. It hurts here. Oh, it's your finger. Yes. So, Jason Roof saying, uh, it's talking about the cyclic prefix. So, and Jason talked about this. Jason Miller talked about this yesterday. And some people say cyclic or cyclic prefix, whatever it is. Um, you say tomatoes. I say tomatoes. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and it creates overhead, but it's to give you more robustness. And on the downstream, we found that if you do a lower cyclic prefix, you can get a significant amount more speed. Significant is a relative term, but you get more speed, Mm -hmm. especially with 25 kilohertz subcarriers. So we have all these recommendations for more speed. The trade-off is it could be less robust. 
But if I have downstream spectrum that's not in roll-off, not have LTE interference, not having problems in the spectrum, then maybe I don't need it. So cyclic prefix can make a difference on downstream, but he mentioned this yesterday, Jason did, that cyclic prefix on the upstream doesn't seem to have as much effect. So getting a lower number can get a little bit more speed, but it's a smaller channel, so it's really not a lot more speed. Uh, so we don't see as much change with cyclic prefix on the upstream as we do on the downstream. Right. And and for those who don't know, a cyclic prefix is a setting in the CMTS, correct, John? I mean, it's not something you can do in a fiber node or in the outside plant. It's the configuration of your OFDMA channel. So you're configuring some parameters, symbols per frame, uh, cyclic prefix. Um, on the upstream, you can't configure the guard time. The guard time is hard set at a half a megahertz on both sides, the guard band, if you will. Um so it's a half megahertz on both sides. So if you do 25 kilohertz subcarrier spacing, the smallest channel you can do is 6.4. But if you include the half megahertz on both sides, it's really 7.4. Yeah. So um, so something we I, we've talked about before, we haven't got to is uh, max power and DRW. We did talked a little bit about power, but the dynamic range window DRW. So I wanted to hit that a little bit uh, while we're we're talking about OFDMA. This, this one perplexed me a little bit because it's it's uh, spelled out in DOCSIS 3.0. And DOCSIS 3.0, it ends at 85 megahertz on the upstream. So it's a 12 dB window, which means we all know when a modem transmit at different frequencies, it's going to have to transmit different level to hit the CMTS at zero across the board. So to hit the CMTS flat, I'm going to have to transmit maybe higher transmit at the higher frequency to overcome the attenuation in the coax because we don't have automatic level control. Yes, we do balance our amplifiers, but we still have coax from the house to the first amplifier. So you have temperature effects, you have coax effects, you have frequency effects. Um, so the higher I go in spectrum, the more I'm gonna have tilt coming out of my modem so that I can go through the coax and then hit the CMTS flat at zero. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between those transmit levels? Well, that's the DRW can't be more than 12 dB. So if I'm transmitting at uh, 40 dBmV at 10 megahertz, I can still transmit at 51 dBmV at 85 megahertz. That would be 11 dB delta, and it still fits in my DRW. DOCSIS 3.1 kept that same spec of 12 dB, but we know the upstream was expanded to 204. So I'm like, man, that <laughs> if all things being equal, shouldn't the 12 dB be extrapolated out to 204 and been like 20 dB? Yeah. Be, <laughs> like be, my DRW should have been 20 dB? Because um, going up to 204 but, megahertz, we know that we have attenuation. You're more than doubling it. Yeah. Hey, you're yeah, more than doubling the spectrum. And, and we so also have cable loss is not flat. We have we have attenuation that gets much more significant as we go up to 204 megahertz. That's going to be problematic, and that, that's why you're worried about that 12 dB window. The other thing that I want to know about that 12, 12 dB window is what happens if you have a suck-out, or what happens if you, know, if you just don't have a, a linear tilt in the cable, standing waves, suck-outs, something like that. That also impacts that 12 dB window. Yes, I mean, the CMTS is just looking at the delta it doesn't, doesn't care matter. what your RF problems are. Yes. <laughs> it's just looking at the modem transmit levels. And, and remember, when you do MTC mode, which is upstream bonding, it's called multiple transmit channel set. When you do upstream bonding, the modem is required to report its transmit level to the CMTS. So if you do show cable modem verbose or show cable modem MAC address phi, the modem transmit level will be reported, even if you're not doing a remote query. Remote query is an SNMP function where the CMTS is talking to the modem to get its transmit level. So we can do that with DOCSIS 2.0 modems, but remote query has to be configured. With 3.0 modems doing upstream bonding, you don't need remote query because it's required by spec for the modem to report its transmit level to the CMTS. Mm -hmm. So I can see the modem's transmit levels. That CMTS looks at the transmit levels of all the channels for that modem and says, you have to be within 12 dB and you have to be within max power or I'm not going to let you do that bonding group you're trying to do. So if you're trying to do five-channel bonding and the power doesn't work, 
I'll relegate you to the next lower bonding group. Oh, you have a four-channel bonding group. Oh, that gives me three GB more power. So maybe I'll put you on a four-channel bonding group. So CMTS makes those decisions. Um, and that DRW, it doesn't care if the plant is like this or, or roll off. That's a big one, right? If you're 40 megahertz, 42 megahertz rolls off hard and you put a carrier at 42 megahertz, it has to overcome that roll off of all those diplex filters through all those amplifiers. So now that channel has to transmit maybe 7 dB higher than all the other upstream channels. So would that to overcome the roll off? Would that kick on? So let's say that we had you know three ATMA channels and an OD, OFDMA channel, and that OFDMA channel just happens to be in a roll off. Would that and that roll off exceeds the DRW? The, the uh, would that cause the modem to drop the OFDMA channel and just bond to the ATDMA? Now channels? here here is the interesting thing about the OFDMA is how is it equated to a channel? It's not six point four. It might be 24. I mean, it's whatever width it is. It's, it's like Kai DB. said, they have a 10 megahertz OFDMA channel. So, so could be whatever it we is. Don't look, we don't look at the, the, the level of all the subcarriers. Like, if I look at the 10 megahertz OFDMA, it's one channel, but what frequency are we actually looking at for the DRW? I don't know. You tell me. My <laughs> understanding is... What frequency do we use for initial ranging? Yes. And that is set by you. You can decide where to put the initial ranging in that OFDMA block. By default, it's one-third up from your lower band edge. Oh, that is quite so interesting. If you put the IR, initial ranging, at the very high end, that would be worst case for ranging. The very, at the very roll-off, so if, in yes. the roll-off window. But if you put the IR, initial ranging, at the very low end, lower frequency you might be better off because you'd have less dynamic range window problems. Right, because you're kind of taking it, so if you imagine that you're in a tilted plant, maybe with some roll off on the end, what you're saying is put it at the lower end because now you're kind of balancing where you have roll off at the high end, roll off at the low end. So then the question why is- Why would you not center it though? Wouldn't maybe centering it be? I, I can understand maybe why they're picking one third, but maybe centering it might even be a better place. I think it really comes down to understanding your spectrum. You might just say, if I put it in centers, right, it's going to be at 27 megahertz and I have a probability of CB coming in. So maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah. Um, maybe I put it at 30, 35. Maybe because I'm doing 85 plan, I put it at 65. Uh, so I think you have to look at your own spectrum and say, where should I put initial ranging? Now, it's BPSK, so it's really, really robust. But it's going to dictate that DRW. It's going to dictate the power level. And then your question might be, well, all right, let's say the IR is near the lower frequency, but I still have roll-off. OFDMA still has pre-equalization. It'll take care of some of that roll-off and that tilt within the OFDMA block. Yeah. So you do have pre-equalization to take care of that. So um, Kai is saying that they have tons of DOCSIS 3.1 modems that their event logs are complaining about transmit power. They couldn't adjust the transmit power because the change would be more than 6 dB below the max of the DRW. Can someone explain this? Below the max. So the DRW is plus 6, minus 6, 12 dB window. The question would be is where's the middle part of this plus 6, minus 6? When you – here's the weird thing about 3.1 modems as well. If the modem is in a max transmit scenario, meaning one of the channels is max transmit already and the other channels are below, you can't go plus six above the max uh, and minus six below, like where is that middle ground? Um, that plus six minus six, I believe if you're at max, it, <sighs> ah, it might be, I can't remember now, it might be right at the max. So your 12 dB window is not 12 dB anymore. Because you're already at max. You don't understand what I'm saying? Yeah. If you were at a legal transmit level, you'd have a plus 6, minus 6, 12 dB window to fluctuate in there because this one is not at max. The plus 6 is not at the maximum transmit power. But if a modem is in a situation where you're one of the upstream channels is at max transmit, it's kind of like you're moving it up, you're hitting the max, and it's squishing down your DRW, and now technically it might only be an 8 dB DRW. So basically, we're stumped, John, is, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> stump the chumps again. <laughs> Kai, you get the prize today, man. You stumped us. Um, and Zolt, I, I, I apologize say. on the 10 megahertz for OFDMA. Zoltan, thanks for clarifying it. Uh, uh, there's a lot going on in the chat window today. I did want to follow up, Jason. Uh, I saw you made the point back there about the cyclic prefix and tuning the cyclic prefix. And that's something that, you know, John, you set the cyclic prefix once and you never forget about it, or is that something that actually needs to be tuned? You know, um, you could, it's my favorite saying, you could make the argument that... <laughs> it depends. PMA, machine learning, artificial intelligence would be a great feature to optimize upstream parameters on the fly and make mod profiles um, but there's always a trade-off of complexity versus keep it simple, stupid, the KISS principle, um, and having external devices do some of these calculations and then have modems dynamically change. You know, we can make things as complex as we want to, um, but then we're opening ourselves up to some problems later on that maybe we don't understand. And for now, we have IEC 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, and then I think it's five and four. We have five mod profiles we could set. And then in those mod profiles, we could also do override zones. So we could say IEC 13 is 16 qualms, so real robust. That's the one modems use to come online. And then when the MER readings come through, we can assign those modems to 1K qualm, 512, 256, maybe something with mixed profile or some override zones. So we have a lot of options that the CMTS can decide where to put the modem. This is without artificial intelligence. It's just looking at thresholds, looking at MER, looking at uncorrectable fact. Where was I going with this? Well, we were talking <laughs> about how frequently to change yeah. the cyclic prefix. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, I mean, yeah. It'd be the one thing you set and you hard set it and you're done. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, I think later on when we start really wanting to push 4K qualm, 8K qualm, 16K qualm, now we have some one-off modems that might be capable of doing it if we had more smarts. Yes. Artificial and, that, and that's smarts. When you talk about PMA or yeah. profile management application, that is something yes. that uh, we on the nimble this side of things are putting, we have integrated into our application that we do think there is some real advantages to that, particularly to your point, when you have noise, when you don't have noise, and you want to go to higher modulations, we think there's going to be a lot of advantages to that. Um, so... I think I if think you do value. remote fi with less amplifiers and Doxus 4.0 modems come out that support higher modulation yeah. schemes, I suspect I could get quite a few that would run the higher modulation schemes that we think are not possible today. Yes. Well, one, they're not possible because the modems don't support them. They only go as high as 4K QAM. But we have systems running 80% of the modems at 4K QAM without PMA. So there are some scenarios where the MER is good enough and we're not putting in too much overhead because we know the modem can drop down to 2K or 1K on the fly. Um, so that's for downstream, right? But I really do feel on the upstream, we could probably squeeze out even more bandwidth if we get a little smarter. And, and like you said, we could on the fly maybe change cyclic prefix or uh, the IUCs or override zones and all kinds of other stuff. It would <laughs> More complexity. Hey, I wanted to offer one more thing is because here's the good thing about 3.1 modems. If you're only doing 42 megahertz, your max power issue shouldn't be a problem because if a 3.0 modem worked okay, a 3.1 modem is going to work better mm -hmm. because there's more power in a 3.1 modem than a 3.0 modem. Right. With all things being equal because the 3.1 modem is spec'd out to 204. So its power level really is for 204 and you squoze it. <laughs> <laughs> you squeeze it down to 42, so it already has 5 to 8 dB more power than 3.0 modem. Yep. So that right there gives me a little bit more power to work with. With that said, you could set the CMTS to have an OFDMA like plus 5 and the single-carrier qualm 0. You could force the modems to transmit 5 dB, 3 to 5 dB higher to get better MER to get better modulation. And that's, that's just a benefit out of 3.1 modems. I think we said that before. The 3.1 modem is always going to perform better than a 3.0 modem. So, uh, I mean, I think like Tim Bowser said, they made a hardcore press to get 3.1 modems out there. So that's that's an and, awesome until thing. Until it locks up. 
Yeah. Into a lockup. <laughs> yes, there is, there is that when they're running OFDMA. So, John, we are out of time. Chat room, this was a phenomenal show with all the contributions. I apologize if we did not get your questions answered today. Um, but we have, it looks like we have some more work to do, John, on the DRW window because there are some folks saying that there's a lot of cryptic messages in there. I don't think we fully answered those questions. We're going to do that on a follow-up episode. I think we have a lot more to cover in OFDMA as more operators roll this out. Uh, John, we had mentioned before that the SCTE call for papers is is now available. So, folks, if you have good information, make sure you check out SCTE and get your contributions for papers in. Uh, our next episode is on March twenty or March nineteenth. A roadmap for Docs 4.0. John and I'll be here, and Jeff Finkelstein will be joining us for that episode as well. So please do drop in, join us in the chat room, and get your get more questions in. We love answering them. So John, I want to thank you for your time today. Everyone in the chat room, thanks for the great contributions. We'll try to follow up on some of the unanswered questions the best we can, and we'll look forward to seeing you on our next episode. So John, thank you so much. All right. Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend, all. Everyone, thanks for chatting. So long.